What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney Dr. Janelle McCauley is currently a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force. She works as the Director of Human Performance and Leadership for the 58th Special Operations Wing, running a pilot program to create high-performing, mindful, and mission-focused warfighters and families. She previously commanded the 400-member Joint 305th Operations Support Squadron. Under her command, the 305th OSS was awarded the Top Airfield Operations Complex of the Year for 2016 at the Air Force level, as well as the Air Mobility Command Operations Support Squadron of the Year for 2016. Dr. McCauley is a wellness educator, yoga instructor, mindfulness researcher, and holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition. She specializes in improving the performance of the members of high-stress organizations through a focus on nutrition, physical and mental fitness, human connection, and values discovery. One of the newest sponsors of the podcast and one of my favorite brands right now is Viore Clothing. Viore is the perfect performance apparel for anyone who loves yoga, surfing, hiking, being active, or in the weight room. They combine innovative fabrics with cool finishes that really feel good and are great for the environment. I would head over to vioriclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com to receive 25% off. Yes, that's 25% off your first order. Use discount code WGYT. And if at any point you're not satisfied with the purchase, send it back. That's 25% off your order with 100% satisfaction guaranteed at vioriclothing.com. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you wanna connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. Janelle, thank you for joining us on What Got You There. How are you doing today? Thank you so much, Sean. I am doing great and I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, no, uh, when I first came across your work and everything you were doing, I, I really dove deep into, into how you were implementing mindfulness and obviously your illustrious career in the military. And, and first, thank you for your service. But I was so excited for this call. There there were so many things that you were talking about and discussing that really resonated with me. And I know so many of my friends that this will be extremely beneficial for. So, so thank you so much for joining us. And I mentioned all the titles, responsibilities. How do you articulate it is that you actually do right now? 
So right now I am currently just finishing up my 20 year military career. And I kind of consider it actually 24 years because I spent four years at the Air Force Academy before I even uh, came on official active duty. But um, so I'm currently in transition. But my last the last year in the Air Force, I've really kind of taken this academic education that I've developed with respect to human performance and have been paying it forward uh, across the Air Force. And in fact, also in the Department of Justice, uh, speaking and educating and consulting in the realm of human performances and specifically in mental exercise um, for performance under stress. So that's kind of what I've been doing this last year. And that came about after my experience as a squadron commander and the, you know, innovative and kind of unconventional pathway I took with introducing human performance initiatives and in particular mindfulness into a military unit. So, um, yeah, so I'm kind of now in that transition period as I venture off into my next career as an official civilian. (laughs) So, I mean, you mentioned your time as uh, the squadron command leader, 305th, correct? Yes, the 305th Operation Support Squadron out of Joint Base McGuire-Dix Lakehurst in New Jersey. Okay, and just to provide the listener some context, I mean, how many people are you in command of that at the time? So when I was in squadron command, there were uh, about 400 people. And that was, you know, the military has recently, uh, over the last 10 years, kind of consolidated some of their bases to make these super joint bases. And so I also had the opportunity to lead a unique unit that consisted of airmen, sailors. I had about 60 sailors that worked for me as well as a couple army soldiers and then about 60 civilians. So we truly were very joint in the sense of a a collaboration of different services and then our civilian workforce as well. Man, so I mean, you you certainly had your hands full with that responsibility, didn't you? I did, I did. And and it was, you know, I've never been one to kind of um, uh, shy away from challenges and it definitely was challenging because each kind of group has its own unique culture. And then on top of it, my unit was really spread out into 10 different, we call them flights in the Air Force. And so there were 10 different mini organizations within my big, larger organization that each had their own job-specific uniqueness that came with it, right? So their cultures, their uh, uh, specialties. And so that was also a big challenge is running an an enormous squadron where there are different tribes. And um, even though we all have kind of the same end goal and mission, it was challenging to kind of get everybody (laughs) to see each other. Like, is this one big family, right? (laughs) I mean, when you were actually in this, did you understand how big of a challenge this was or, Hey, this was the responsibility I have. And you were just kind of rolling with it. I think a combination of both. When the Air Force offers you an opportunity to command, it's probably one of the, you know, most uh, prestigious and uh, opportunities. And I was very honored to get selected, and especially to get chosen to select such a diverse unit and large unit. Um, so it was it was one of those things that you kind of take with the opportunity that's given to you, and um, it wasn't you know we don't necessarily get a choice in where you command. Um, cause, uh, because a board and, uh, those, the unit leadership kind of makes those decisions, but I was honored to be selected and it definitely uh, was a little bit daunting at first. And especially the, the 
previous commander that had led the unit, you know, had a great reputation for doing a lot of wonderful things. And so it was kind of big shoes to fill. Um, But I was excited for the challenge. I mean, one of the things that I loved hearing so far is you mentioned you love challenges. And I'm wondering, was was there a particular time during your childhood where you first kind of really realized that you loved embracing challenges? Yes. You know, it's, it's interesting because I grew up in a family of public servants. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a nurse. I had a, uh, a large Marine, um, you know, both my grandfathers as well as my uncle had all been in uh, the Marine Corps. And I had always felt a calling to some type of public service, to giving back to my community. And I had started at a young age doing things such as I was a uh, juvenile justice commissioner for the county of Orange, you know, Orange County in Southern California. I also did a lot of uh, volunteer work with my family. And so going into public service was a natural choice and pathway. However, the way that I kind of ended up um, in the military is an interesting one. You know, my, my dad and I remember at a very young age, he would tell anyone that would listen that I was going to grow up to be a submarine warfare commander <laughs> or a fighter pilot. And, you know, like literally this, you know, if you could imagine a young girl looking up at her, at her dad as, you know, this, you know, uh, police officer and a police sergeant, you know, would, would tell anyone that would listen. Yeah, this is my daughter. She's, she's going into the military. She's going to do great things. Lofty expectations there. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And at the time I really didn't, you know, understand much about the political atmosphere. You know, those jobs weren't even open to women. I couldn't at the age of seven, right, be a fighter pilot or a submarine warfare commander because those were not opportunities um, in in the 80s that were readily available. Can we pause on that for one second? I mean, I'm just fascinated. I mean, your father, what even, I I don't know what allowed him to even think that was going to be a possibility for you. You know, I think he always just wanted to kind of inspire, you know, both my brother and I, my brother's actually a a pilot in the Air Force as well. (laughs) Um, interestingly enough, uh, I think he was really trying to use the right type of messaging, um, for us as, as kids to understand that it didn't matter what, you know, we, who, who we were by our gender or, um, those types of, uh, you know, societal barriers that were being put on us because of that. Um, it didn't matter because if, you know, he was kind of inspiring us to work hard and, and, um, just focus on what the potential was that we could be in the future. And that was really, really um, important to me as a, as a young girl, right? To realize that there weren't limitations or I was going to be my own limitation. You know, if I could dream it, I could potentially live it. And so I, I was the only thing that could uh, limit um, that potential future. Are you taking the same stance and allowing your children now to have those types of beliefs? I am. I am. Although I have to say that part of um, my journey has kind of led me to believe that there's there's two, you know, two ways um, and and two um, areas that we need to focus on as we grow as human beings. And I was kind of missing one of them um, during my childhood, and I think in my early adulthood, you know, I had that drive to work really hard and to build my own pathway to success. And that was, you know, 
partly because of how my father raised me and the verbiage and strategic messaging he used um, when I was a child. However, what I learned along that pathway is that just focusing on the hard work and the dreaming big is incomplete for sustainable success. Hmm. And because I think there was a point in my life where anyone would have looked at me from the outside and thought, man, she's so successful. But on the inside, I was struggling. And I was struggling because I couldn't figure out this idea of how to both succeed in life and succeed in work. (laughs) And I kind of, you know, that drive made me in my mind, I kind of kept thinking, well, if I just keep working harder, I will continue to achieve professionally and I can achieve in life. But in the meantime, I was forgetting about taking care of myself. I was forgetting about, you know, putting on that oxygen mask, (laughs) which is leads to in my TED talk. And so that's something that I had to develop, um, you know, through my own education and growth as a, as an adult. I mean, was this kind of an overnight realization for you that, wow, I, I need to change things or I need to implement something different? Or was this over time? I mean, you, you articulated it so beautifully in your TED Talk with your husband uh, separated from you in terms of where you guys were located, both in the military, you have the young family, you have this career success, or, or was it this long drawn out thing that you finally realized one day, okay, this, this needs to change? I think there was... Uh, you know, I think part of it is when you're younger, things just are a little bit easier. You know, you don't have as many responsibilities. Um, so I think part of it was just the normal progression of added work responsibilities, as well as having a family, um, having other people depend on you as a leader in the air force. You know, when I was younger, I had relatively small groups that I led. And so as my experience grew, my responsibility did as well. So now you're responsible for more people, you're responsible for a child at home. And so I think part of it was that that normal progression of this is not as easy as it used to be um, with the the skills and the resources I had, you know, 10 years ago. And so I think part of it was a, a natural progression and a, a, a personal journey. And also, you know, Part of it was my normal, you know, like a lot of us, and this is what I get when I talk to and consult with people about this. Well, I'm just, I'm just getting older. It's supposed to be harder. And I'm, and it's, it's normal for me to be fatigued and it's normal for me to be, you know, exhausted. And, you know, this is just what life is. And there came a point for me where that was not an acceptable answer to me anymore. You know, I did not uh, want to use that as an excuse and say, well, Hey, this is just the way, uh, life is because I thought that there, there, there's gotta be a better way for us to succeed in life and in work. And that's really when I was sitting, I, and I distinctly remember this, I was sitting at air command and staff college, which is the intermediate level academic experience for most, um, military officers. And I remember sitting there just thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a way where I can sustain my success and not lose myself in the process. Because I honestly, and I, and I alluded to it in the Ted talk, I, I lost myself completely. I stopped laughing and I couldn't see the joys in my life anymore. And everything just seemed so, um, difficult. 
And I, I knew that there had to be a better way to kind of, um, continue, you know, on, on the path of life and all, and, and be able to not, you know, sacrifice my health and relationships along the way. When you mentioned you realized, I mean, there has to be a better way for this. What, what are the next steps for you? I mean, where, where do you even seek help? How do you start implementing new things in your lives? What does that look like? So actually, because I was at school, this was, you know, a really, um, you know, everything, I, I think everything kind of happens for a reason. And I think in that moment, I had the flexibility in my life where um, it was the first time in 13 years I had actually slowed down. Hmm. And so, and I think that's, that was part of the exercise, right? Most of our journeys, it has to start with you and then you can, you know, kind of pay it forward and, and share it in different ways. And when I finally had that opportunity to sit back and self-reflect a little bit on where I'd been in the last 13 years and where I wanted to go. Um, and because I was in an academic environment, it kind of artificially created that for me or forced the slowdown function. And, um, and had I not had that opportunity, I don't know that I would have, right. Because I would have just gotten carried away with the day to day and, um, the, the work and the success. Like I think success was actually, my enemy at the time too, because the harder I worked, the more successful I became. And it's hard to see outside of that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so when I was forced to slow down and stop and reflect, that's really when I realized um, I wanted to figure out how to do this differently, how to set myself up on a different trajectory for the future. And so it enabled me to slow down, self-reflect. And then because I was also in an academic environment, I devoted the next few years to studying that phenomenon um, precisely. Like how do you perform better in stressful situations? So someone listening today who who feels similarly stressed as you were, and you mentioned slowing down, what does slowing down actually mean for you? So I, you know, from, I'm going to talk to talk about in two different sense. So the first sense would be the, the, the academic. So when you think of our bodies, and I like to use the analogy of a human weapon system, um, when I look at the human weapon system, we have a sympathetic nervous system that is constantly exercised, right? We are, we feel that stress response, you know, the clammy hands, the heart racing, the butterflies in our stomach, and we get it constantly. I would say we are a chronically stressed population. So you don't even have to be in a high speed aircraft with people shooting at you on a thunderstorm, aircraft malfunction, feel your stress response, right? You can feel it when you're driving your car, you can feel it when you're on the phone with the cable company and or when you're dealing with your children. And so our sympathetic nervous system is exercised on a fairly regular interval. What we don't exercise is our parasympathetic system and that's our rest and digest. That's where, you know, you take the deeper breaths instead of the shallow, you know, hyperventilation type breaths. And so we never exercise our parasympathetic. And so when I'm talking about slowing down, that's, you know, the physiological part of it, you know, to, to get out of this sympathetic nervous system stress response and then start exercising that parasympathetic. And, um, so that's the physiology or physi physiology piece of it. And then the other side is the, the, the disengagement from constant thought and activity. I think we, you know, we think that to be successful, you have to be moving super fast. And I call it 
I, th- I think our world right now has this competitive stress environment. You know, we almost wear our stress like a badge of courage. Um, you know, I have more stress and I'm busier in my life. Therefore, I must be successful because that's, that is what our society values. Um, and so that's the other piece of it is, is, is actually taking a step back from that competitive stress and saying, hey, it's okay to just sit and breathe, or it's okay to just go outside and play with my kids and kick the soccer ball and not have a million things going on in my head or have my phone attached to my hip where I'm also answering emails or checking in with social media. Um, but it, I, I get that that's a hard sell in today's environment because of what we value as a society. But that's really what I kind of mean by slowing down, both the mental disengagement and then the physiological um, exercise of our parasympathetic. I mean, it's just fascinating to hear you talk about being in a, a fighter jet and, and the stress that might go along with that. And then and then also just the, the mundane daily tasks that might also cause stress as well. And I think it might be almost difficult at times for someone to really picture themselves being in that fighter jet. I mean, what is that like? So, um, being, yeah, flying a high speed aircraft <laughs> in, um, you know, very stressful situations takes a lot of training and it takes a lot of focus. And I know that, you know, I flew, so I flew KC 10, uh, tanker aircraft, uh, C one thirty combat tactical airlifters, um, and then C-21 Learjets uh, across my career. And it really didn't matter which platform. They all have different and unique missions. But I have been in high-stress situations <laughs> in every single aircraft. And even in the trainers I flew, right? You're, you're a student pilot and you're learning how to fly. It, it is, it's all fast-moving. It's all um, multi-tasks, right, coming at you at the same time. And so if there's any moment where you need your focus and your attention, you know, flying aircraft does teach you that um, very quickly. And it's, uh, it's very necessary. But I will say that, you know, even in my youth, um, compared to my focus and attention today with the skills that I've developed uh, with this new focus on putting on my own oxygen mask and and especially the mental skills training piece of it with mindfulness, just you know, head and shoulders above where I was um, when I was younger, I, I can focus in the moment and accurately you know assess my surroundings and accurately access the training. And that's really what we do. We we artificially in the military we artificially create high stress situations to kind of exercise um our ability to operate in those environments. But here's the thing like I I have learned now that there's so much more to it than just that that repetitive practice. There's a lot that that um the repetitive practice is beneficial for us. But I really think what puts us you know, gives us the edge is really that ability to live more in the present moment and not inside the judgments and the things that are going to pop up into our head to tell us in those stressful situations or make us second guess uh, the direction we're headed. Um, you know, that's really a skill set that we all need to learn. And I think it, it helps to learn at a younger age, but it's really never too late 
uh, to start incorporating that, whether you're flying those high-speed aircraft or, uh, you know, in combat, or you're just dealing with the stressful situations that we have on in everyday life. <laughs> I mean, something that really hit home for me, and when I came across your work, this really fascinated me, was the ability to focus in the moment. And I really started to think back to my high-stress times and low-stress times. And during those high-stress times, my mind was just wandering all over the place. And I couldn't hone in on anything. And then there'd be those certain times where maybe I spend a day or two and just really get out in nature, relax. And all of a sudden my idea generation, things like that just extrapolated tremendously. And it, it just hit home so much understanding that during those stress times, what is your mind actually doing when you're hyper stressed out? Is it just kind of wandering all over the place or are you tapping into different skill sets? What's the mind like at that time? Yeah, so research will will tell us that when we're under, you know, even even just normal everyday stress. So this isn't even high stress situations, but normal everyday stress. You know, the average human being will mind wander like forty six point nine percent of their waking moments, and that's regardless of the activity you're doing. And so when you think about that, and I and I just I'm going to digress one second because I like I like to clarify because I think there can be some. Um, just some confusion in the literature. So mind wandering, uh, I see that as the concept of being unintentional and without awareness. So what mind wandering really is, is you're reading a page in the book and you get to the bottom and then you think, oh my gosh, I totally forgot what I just read. Or you drive your car somewhere and you get to your destination and you think, I don't even remember how I got <laughs> And that's because your mind was wandering and it was going to places that were unintentional. You did not mean for them to go there. Um, it was just uh, taking you. I mean, our minds are fantastic at mental time travel. So that's the, the mind wandering is not really productive for us. And research will also tell us that the majority of the time we mind wander, we think of unpleasant thoughts. We don't normally mind wander about happy things or, you know, exciting things. We, we mind wander about our worries and our stressors. And so, you know, that there's a difference between mind wandering and then there's a different brain function called daydreaming. And daydreaming is the productive space in our minds where we can think clearly, where we think through a problem, we're trying to find a solution. In fact, you could be daydreaming and start mind wandering, right? You're... <laughs> You're thinking through a problem and then all of a sudden you're thinking about you know, what you have to you know, do later that afternoon. And, um, and so daydreaming is with awareness. I know I'm, you know, going into my thoughts right now to productively think through a problem versus the mind wandering is the unintentional without awareness. And I think that awareness is, is the key word here because when you're in a stressful situation, do you have awareness as to what's going on around you? Do you have awareness of what's happening in the moment? And do you also have awareness as to the thoughts inside your head, which ones are helpful and which ones are not? Because, you know, many times what, what I think uh, a lot of the mindfulness training really helps us do is it helps us detach from thoughts. Right. Or it brings us an awareness that we don't have to attach to certain thoughts that are in our heads. And, um, you know, step one is just even being aware that you're mind wandering, being aware that you're attaching to negative thoughts that may not be helpful in the situation that, that's at hand. You mentioned the thoughts inside of our head. So what does the inner dialogue look like for you? What say you're about to or you're currently in a high stress scenario? What are you saying to yourself? So, um, 
and I, I'm I'm still a work in progress. I I want to be very clear, and I think many of us, even I know, probably some of the um, best mindfulness practitioners would say that it's a constant. Uh, progression uh, and, and a practice. So there are some days that my mind can say super focus. There are some days I'm aware um, I can hold my attention. And then there's other days that, you know, we all have stress. So I get a little bit more stress in my life and it becomes more difficult. However, I have to say without the skill set that I've developed, it would be way worse. Um, because what it, what it does for me is in those moments, um, and it could be like, even this morning, I was trying to get my kids out the door to get to school <laughs> and, and you know, like you're, why does it take 10 minutes to put shoes on? And <laughs> those are the thoughts that are going in my mind. And, um, so where I think the skill comes into play is it, it it's very difficult for us as human beings to not have the thoughts that are going to come into our head to not have the judgments, to not have the expectations, to not have, you know, I, I, you know, I could still look at social social media and feel inadequate or uh, frustrated or upset about something um, or judged. Um, it's just the the next step. What do you do with those thoughts? And I think that's where that mindfulness skill set comes in because it it teaches you and trains your body to take just a couple deep breaths. Even some days it's just a single deep breath for me. And I bring myself out of those thoughts. I can detach from them and come right back to the moment where I understand who I am, what, you know, I stand for, what guides me, what my philosophy is. And then I anchor on that. I anchor on the present moment. I anchor on what I know I'm capable of. And then I just let go of those other things. And, um, so, so I would say just becoming more mindful does not prevent those thoughts from coming into your head. It's the next step. It's what you do with them and the awareness you have about what they truly are to you and to your performance. And you mentioned it might be as simple as just taking one deep breath during the day. Do you start your day um, with maybe a, a small breath and an intention or anything like that? Or do you kind of get right into your day? I do. I start every day the same way. And I'm trying to also teach my kids this. So we take, um, or I take two deep breaths, um, because I, I just feel, you know, that's also my parasympathetic exercise is taking those nice, huge deep breaths. We, we only use about like 20% of our lung capacity on any given day. And so it really helps me tap into the full, um, expanse of, of my lung space. So I take these two deep breaths, and then through my mindfulness practice and what I also try to teach others in my workshops and um, presentations is this idea of using mindfulness as a tool for self-reflection and really figuring out who you are, where you're going, and what grounds you. Like, what are your guiding principles or your mission statement in life? Because I think we all should have one. You know, the way that we think and make decisions as individuals, there's two schools of thought. There's values-based thinking and rules-based thinking. And I call rules-based thinking the default. And many of us use rules-based thinking because we don't know what it is we value. We don't truly understand who we are, where we're going in life. And so when you don't know the answers to those questions, you can't appropriately make values-based decisions. 
So by default, you make the rules-based decisions. And all of us have done it at one point or other in our life where we've decided or we've chosen something because our mom and dad told us we should, or society expects us to, or, you know, as in the Air Force, I would always say our commander or supervisor or the Air Force expects us to make a certain decision with respect to our lives our careers. And so that's one of the reasons why when I was a squadron commander, I had a staunch policy against giving advice, like personal advice, because yeah, it, and, and a lot of people are like, what, that's part of your job. And I saw my job as, as to mentor. My job was to mentor and guide, not to, you know, put, not to give advice in a way that would put rules-based thinking on any of the people that worked for me. Because the second I told someone, Hey, you should choose this. Now, regardless of what they wanted to do, they will always think, but my boss thinks I should do this. And so um, I, you know, would instead of giving advice, I would say, well, what, what is it that you value? What does success mean to you? I don't think many of us have a definition um, to either of those questions. And the interesting thing is, is that there's no right answer. There's just your answer. And I think mindfulness can be a great tool for self-reflection to help us figure out what the answers to those questions are because mindfulness helps you filter out the rules-based thinking. So you can truly see, you know, who you are, what you believe in and, and where you're going in life. So, um, that for me has been the two deep breaths and then kind of reciting to myself what my guiding philosophy is in life. And that's usually how I start my day. And then I also, the third step is setting some type of intention for where I'm going in particular in that day. And that's also what I try to teach my kids. So we take two deep breaths together. And then instead of setting intent, you know, they're, they're too young to really have a guiding philosophy, but I, but I do ask them to set some type of intention for the day and my children are five and 11. And so it ranges any, anywhere from, you know, being kind to making a new friend, to finding someone who's having a bad day and, and turning it around, um, you know, making them smile. And so I, cause I think that's just so important for us all to re- to kind of focus on, on a daily basis is, um, kind of figuring out where we're going in life and the type of person we want to be. No, I love that practice. And I had been doing something similar, but I appreciate that one so much that uh, my wife and I, we started our day the exact same way to really get in the mindset for our talk today. And then it, I mean, it really does help clear things up and just get you on the right foot uh, for the day. So that's awesome to hear. And one thing that's clear in our conversation is, is you're not afraid to go against the grain or, or do something that might not be the norm. So how do you go about implementing yoga, yoga and a mindfulness practice in the Air Force? So, (laughs) um, that has been a challenge. (laughs) I I can only imagine. I will, I will use that word. And it's not that, you know, there are some amazing people and very supportive people in the military that have been, you know, from day one supportive of, you know, my, uh, innovative and unconventional pathway. Um, however, I do realize that it is, a, it, it, it is against the grain. It's something different. And most of us do not like different, right? It, it's something that, that is going to kind of require a change and a, and a personal reflection on 
who we are and, and how we can do things better. And I, I realized that that is an uncomfortable space for many people to include the military. And um, so I think, I, I think there's two things. The first one is that, you know, I, anytime you want to kind of spur this type of change, you have to start with yourself. And, um, I think the reason why it was successful in the unit that I led was that as the leader, I walked the walk. I was not asking them to do anything that I wasn't willing to do or that I wasn't doing myself. And ultimately it wasn't something that I even pushed on them from day one. It was something that I just lived. And, you know, it's like the, the person at your workspace who comes in one day and all of a sudden they've lost weight and they're smiling all the time. And you're like, man, Bob used to be really grumpy. You know, what happened to Bob? Like Bob's smiling all the time. Right. And we want to have something, you know, what, what is Bob doing? We want some of that. And it can be very infectious to an organization. So then just imagine if the leader, right, is Bob and the, the leader is the individual that, you know, kind of is able to, um, perform at a different level, it has a different type of attitude than what everyone else is used to. Um, it can be, you know, something and it could be inspiring. And then other people want to un- understand how they can get that for themselves as well. And so I've always been a big believer and I had to start with myself. And, um, you know, then others kind of were asking, cause at the time when I was a squadron commander, I was doing it with two small children. My husband was stationed, you know, in a different state and, um, for all intents and purposes, I should have been, you know, losing my chili like every day. <laughs> and I, and I really tried hard not to, because it was a high stress job. You know, you're in charge of 400 people. Plus I got my own, you know, two small kids and, and all the stress that comes with that. And I think, you know, a lot of people would, were just asking, you know, how are you able to do this? and be successful. And then I finally was, I think, cracking the nut on pairing that success with self-care and, um, you know, being the example, being mentally present, being focused, being, um, not distracted, you know, I, I think, and, and then overall in a better mood, you know, throughout the, the day, I think a lot of people wanted to know what it was I was doing. And that kind of opened the door for me to start discussing nutrition, yoga. We started, um, you know, a yoga class, uh, in the unit. In fact, we built a human performance center where we had 15 different, um, exercise classes offered throughout the day. You know, I would, grab on to what other people really good at. I had a chief that was amazing at, at teaching spin. And so he would teach spin classes. I had some survival instructors that were amazing with, you know, CrossFit workouts and high intensity interval training. And so you kind of just grab on to what other people are good at and kind of, you know, build the culture around it. But it had to start with me. And I, and I know that there are great wellness programs out there at a lot of different corporate organizations. But honestly, if the leader is not leading by example and living the life, it is a slow, um, it's slow for the whole organization to change. 
yeah, I think so many people have, have seen different organizations and that leader isn't living that and oh, just how draining it is on, on the employees and everyone else involved with it. So it's great to hear you talk about that and kind of really dive deep on that. I, I don't like pigeonholing people into, into certain things, but if you could implement just a couple of these things, you mentioned breath work, mindfulness, a physical workout. What do you think just if someone was about to start tomorrow, what was the first thing they should implement here? I think you've, so you've got to start with, um, with the breath. And honestly, I also, a lot of my research and, um, I'm, I'm currently, I have a book with an editor that's based on my dissertation work. And one of the things that, you know, I didn't go looking for mindfulness, honestly. And I know that that's something that as of late has become, um, something that most people want to hear about and, and, and understand my story with it. But even in my dissertation work, mindfulness was not something that I had done before. It was not something that I was expecting to find. But what I really, what really stood out to me when you're talking about putting on your oxygen mask and making better choices in your life, whether that's connecting with others, being present, you know, exercising, eating right, it all comes down to the way we make decisions. And really where I think mindfulness and, and the power of our breath comes in is because it helps us make more rational decisions. Hmm. When we're under stress, I think there's two things that work against us. The first one is our physiology, right? Our stress response wants to put us in a situation where we make emotional decisions. And nine times out of 10, it's normally an emotional overreaction. You know, that in those moments when you feel the stress response and then you say something or you do something almost immediately after you regret it. And you almost feel like in this, in the moment I had, I, I had no control over the way I was reacting. And so what I think, what I think mindfulness does for us is, and our breath does for us is it helps us uh, respond rather than react. So we actually can have a more rational response to whatever the stimulus is that's provided in front of us. So our physiology wants us to kind of make those emotional decisions. And then the second thing that works against us is our environment. And I like to, I, I call it, we have these unhealthy default options. And so it is way easier to grab a monster drink in a Snickers bar than it is to make a, uh, a, a good lunch for ourselves. It is way easier to fly off the handle and make that emotional response, uh, reaction instead of the rational response. And so what I think mindfulness and our breath does for us is it gives us the cognitive capacity to overcome our physiology and the default options, the unhealthy default options. So we make better decisions, um, throughout our day. So that's why I think the breath is kind of the foundational piece because you can say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to set up a plan for exercise, or I'm going to set up a plan for, you know, making time for self-reflection or for slowing down or for doing yoga or for meditating even, right? You can set up this daily plan. But if you don't know how to foundationally get there, to get that parasympathetic space where all those things happen and all those things, um, the decisions to choose those that, that pathway happens, um, you're always going to struggle because there's always going to be some stressor in your life that's going to take you away from, oh, I, I meant to work out today, but this has come up and, or this thing is stressing me out right now, or I'm feeling so overwhelmed. And then you're going to choose the emotional reaction. And so that's why starting with your breath, I think is the foundational place. You're very good at what people might deem as complex problems and really breaking them down and just making it so simple. And it's like, oh, 
I, I can easily implement that now and, and take the first step into making my life more enjoyable. So I, I really do appreciate that. I'm curious, what motivates you right now? So, well, you're, you've kind of caught me in this very, um, this transition period. So what has, what has really motivated me in the past and, and, and does continue, uh, to motivate me today is helping people achieve peak performance. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I kind of talked about knowing what your guiding philosophy and everything is. And so, you know, just to, to share mine, and this is kind of my mantra for every day, it, it really is. I live grounded and present in my faith, family, and service, both in and out of uniform. Every day I labor, but I also laugh, love, and learn, honoring myself and my human spirit to better serve and lead others. And that's my guiding philosophy. And so it's going to change a little bit, right? I have kind of my service both in and out of uniform, and and now I'm going to be out of uniform. But that guiding philosophy will kind of stay the same. And I want to serve and lead others to the best of my ability. Really that that's what motivates me. My purpose is, you know, helping people achieve peak performance. And I like to say, I focus on, you know, passion, purpose, and presence to achieve that, those high levels of performance in life. And so, cause I think passion is the feeling purpose is the guide and presence is the pathway for us um, uh, to live, you know, that and find that better version of ourselves in our lives. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what motivates me to see others kind of, you know, benefit from, from, you know, my work. I mean, that's an incredible guiding philosophy. Is that something that you say to yourself every day or do you kind of save that in your back pocket for, for difficult times? Nope. I say it every day, although I have shortened it. Um, it really is my four L's labor, laugh, learn, love. And it's what, um, you know, I have, I've struggled with balance. You know, a lot of us think about work-life balance. And for many years, I think that was also one of the challenges of my life was trying to achieve something. And especially for a type A person who's used to being successful and finding, you know, a way to get to where I want to go, this, ambiguous work-life balance, just, I could never get there. And when you can't get there and you're somebody who's used to getting there, it can be excruciatingly frustrating. And so I think through this journey as well, I finally decided to throw out balance. In fact, I, I don't even use the word because it's more of a work-life integration to me. Hmm. And you know, because balance really is an unrealistic expectation. If you think of balance at face value, it means that at some point the two things will be equal and it's never going to be equal in your work and your life, you know? And so that's why I have embraced this idea of work-life integration and the four L's. And so when I talk about labor, laugh, learn, and love, what I really mean is that each and every day I do those four things. And so I kind of told you what I start my day with, the 2D breaths, kind of reciting kind of my guiding philosophy and then also my intentions for the day. But then at the end of the day, I also do an exercise where I take another two deep breaths and then I think about the four L's and I think, did I labor today? Did I work hard? Did I love? Did I laugh? Did I learn? Because for so long in my life, I'd get to the end of the day and I thought, man, I labored really hard today. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I was laboring and going so fast. I, I missed the laughing, the loving and the learning that were going on right in front of me. So that's something that I try to integrate with this idea of presence 
is because when you're more present, you'll see the laughing and the loving and learning and, and all the joys that, that are in life. So I like to say, and it's work-life integration and kind of a harmony of the four L's. Not that I do them in equal parts, but just that I do each one of them every day. And, you know, I'm, I'm teaching my kids the same thing. When we go to bed, we talk about them. And in fact, my, my five-year-old son has added a fifth L <laughs> because he says, Mom, um, I have a fifth L because I also need to listen every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's the listeners without a doubt can hear the passion in your voice. But one of my favorite things is is I can see it on your face, these four L's and the joy it really brings for you. So I want to know, when do you feel most alive right now? Is it, is it a time with your kids? Is it when you're, you're helping people perform better? Is there a specific moment that you really resonate with right now? So I there's actually, there's actually two happy places for me right now. It really is with my kids and my family. And now that I'm, I'm transitioning out of the military, I have had a lot more time with my family and with the laughing and the loving and the learning aspects of, of my life. And I have to say it's, it's been completely amazing, but it also, I feel equally impassioned and, and, um, and content when I'm on a stage and or I'm just sharing the message with others because I I remember what it was like to be caught up in the competitive stress, to be caught up in, you know, my thoughts and my laboring and my success. And so I hope that, you know, I can help people who were like me, right? Like this is all the advice that I wish I would have had at the start of my career. So um, I could have just done it in a more sustainable manner. So that also is kind of my happy place right now is, you know, seeing the impact. And, and, you know, I've been speaking at, um, a couple different venues for, for the air force and, you know, one in particular squadron officer school where there's, you know, 700 captains that are, you know, very young in their career and they're really excited about the future. And, um, that's, I, I love speaking to the to the young people, and I and I love how they're responding to the message. It makes me so excited because this is the stuff I wish I knew back then. And you know, I don't want them to be all burnt out by the time they've spent only ten years in in our organization. The Air Force deserves better than that. Our mission deserves better than that. But the but the fact of the matter is is that we have burnout, just like you know, any other, like, I mean, you could take corporate America, right. Or I speak a lot in the DOJ judges and lawyers, doctors, right. We're all burning out as individuals. And that's not good for any of us um, personally, nor is it good for, you know, our professions. And one of the questions I ask actually, every time I, I've spoken to those 700 captains, I've asked, you know, have you ever looked at one of your leaders and thought, man, I don't want that job. And almost every single hand in that 700 person crowd was raised. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that I could probably do that at medical schools. I could probably <laughs> ask that question, right. To people who had just graduated from law school and a lot of high stress occupations. And, and many of them would probably say the same thing. Yeah. I don't know if the, if I want that job because many of us at, in the mature stage of our careers are making it look pretty, pretty miserable, um, as far as our work-life integration. And so if I can even help like a handful of people along their own journey to make a difference that just, um, you know, that that's, that's my happy place. That's, that's what brings me joy. 
I mean, you, you've mentioned just your ability to to help people, to, to show them the light. You mentioned a potential book you're working on right now. You're transitioning out of uniform. I mean, what are you most looking forward to in what seems to be a very busy 2018 for you? You know, the, what I'm most looking forward to is uh, flexibility and <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> you know, so I've, I've been asked quite a lot about you know, where I'm going to work next. And, um, I, I know for sure that I need to work independently for a little bit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) well, you've certainly earned it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. There's something to be said for making a choice and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm taking the month of July off, you know, and, um, I'm going to disengage a little bit. And, you know, my husband and I have a dream that one day when he, he finally retires from his military service, we want to travel the world for a year and completely disconnect. And we'd like to still do it while our children are, are young. If the opportunity presents itself, um, you know, and just, just live more present and really embrace that idea a little bit. Um, so yeah, so whether it's writing books or giving speeches, um, I've got, you know, a couple different opportunities on the horizon, but the number one priority is more flexibility and more time, you know, at, at home. Very cool. You mentioned the, the year of travel. Where's the number one spot you have circled right now? Oh my gosh. I have so many. (laughs) This is, this is no joke. We've actually really thought through this. In fact, my husband has like his top five. Uh, you know, my both my kids have written down their top five. So I I've never been to New Zealand, and that's probably one of my top um, locations. I you know want to do kind of an adventure vacation where you get to you know like hike and bike and kayak and swim and all sorts of things um, and kind of one location. And so that's, yeah, that, and, and hiking Machu Picchu. That's another, another dream. <laughs> Very cool. No, I just had a friend move to New Zealand. So that is top of my list right now as well. But I mean, th- this has been so fascinating to hear so many different things that you've hit on during our call. And, uh, obviously once this releases, uh, Lieutenant Colonel or Lieutenant Colonel retired Janelle McCauley, where can the listeners stay connected with you? I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people reaching out. Yeah. So I have a website, uh, JanelleMcCauley.com. And so I, I've posted some of, uh, some information and resources. I do a leaders or readers series where every week I kind of post a new book. I'm an avid book reader. Uh, so, uh, my website is great. I also, uh, recently had my Ted talk, um, Googling my name and TEDx, uh, that'll come up to kind of give you a little bit more insight on, on my work. And, um, I, I tend to use LinkedIn as a great networking resource. So, uh, people can find me via LinkedIn and I like to post different, um, articles or what I like to think is thought provoking information and the human performance spectrum across sleep, you know, nutrition, physical exercise, and then also, um, mental exercise, which, obviously I think is, is super important. And, um, you know, I was going back to your original question on the air force and, you know, kind of talking about an unconventional topic, you know, there's that video, that first follower video where, you know, it's the grassy field and the one guy's kind of crazy and he stands up and he starts dancing and everyone's like, man, that guy's kind of crazy out there dancing all by himself. But then as soon as a couple other people start dancing with him, um, he doesn't seem so crazy anymore. And now he, it's the cool thing. 
right? The cool thing to be up there dancing and everyone else wants a piece. And in my, in my journey in the Air Force talking about mental exercise and mindfulness, I know at one time I was the only one out there. And I'd like to think that, you know, more people are realizing the necessity in really slowing down and taking the deep breaths. And hopefully soon, um, it, it will be the cool and the, the necessary thing for us to be um, high performing. And um, just one last quick story, which is an interesting side note, you know, physical activity and physical exercise actually started in the Air Force. And I don't think many people realize that like the idea of aerobics and running hmm. doctor. Yeah. Dr. Ken Cooper, who's kind of the, now the founder of Cooper aerobics. And he, um, he was kind of back in the sixties going counter to this thought. Like there was a, a prevalent thought that you only had so many heartbeats in your life. And so if you exercised, you used up, you know, extra heartbeats. And so his work actually kind of, uh, went against, um, that, that prevailing thought and part of his work was born out of this idea that the Air Force had fighter pilots that need to pull G's and astronauts that needed to get into space. And we were in the 50s and 60s coming into this revolution as a culture where we were sitting behind desks all the time. And so we needed to figure out a way as a service to operate in those environments um, and so phys- being more physically active was something that, that Dr. Ken Cooper started with his idea of aerobics and running. And so it was an antidote to the sitting phenomenon. And so today I think we're just in that same space, but with the mental, um, exercise, if you think about our technology, our smartphones, how tied we are to digital worlds, we need an antidote to that. So that we can very true, <laughs> right? Right. Like it's just, it's becoming uh, you know, people are stuck in their technology and their faces are in their phones more than they are engaged with the person sitting next to them. And so we need an antidote to that. And really that's what I think, you know, mindfulness, mental skills, training, this idea of slowing down parasympathetic, you know, engagement really is the antidote to that. And and we, as a service really need to do it out of operational necessity so that we can stay on the cutting edge in, in our nation's defense. So, um, yeah, so fun fact, physical exercise started in the Air Force. Um, I'd like to hope uh, this new revolution um, it, it will kind of take take root um, in, in the Air Force today as well with, with mental exercise and mindfulness, but we'll see. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's only fitting that we come full circle. And once again, you paint such a clear picture for the listeners and, and what needs to be done and what is happening. So I can't thank you enough. This truly has been an amazing call for myself. And I know the listeners are going to get a ton out of this. So thank you first and foremost for your service and then also joining us on what got you there. Thank you so much, Sean. It was so awesome to be a part of your podcast. And um, yeah, I'd be happy to continue the conversation with any of your listeners that are uh, excited about the topic. And um, it was so wonderful to meet you and speak with you today. Great. Thanks so much. Looking to freshen up your wardrobe for the summer season? Having trouble finding a brand whose products are functionally built to move and sweat in, but designed with a casual aesthetic aimed at everyday life? Then Viore is the clothing brand you've been looking for. Viore merges technical clothing with a West Coast vibe that looks and fits great. Viore's motto is built to move in, styled for life. They have a new perspective on performance apparel. 
Viore has incorporated innovative fabrics that feature anodor finishes, moisture wicking, and quick dry finishes. My favorite being Sea Cell, which is a sustainably sourced fiber that uses a blend of algae and wood pulp to create the most comfortable shirts you've ever felt. They really are. They're incredible. They're also anti-odor and filled with vitamins and nutrients that are released when you sweat. To receive 25% off, yes, that's 25% off your order, head to vioriclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com and use discount code W-G-Y-T. If at any point you're unsatisfied with your purchase, send it back. That's 25% off your entire order with a 100% satisfaction guaranteed. VioriClothing.com, discount code WGYT for 25% off your order. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.